Hello, this is Dr. John Winslow with the Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy coming to you from Ithaca, New York. The Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy is rooted in the philosophy that structure and function are interrelated and restoring mobility to skeletal, arthrodial, myofascial, and neural structures will create more efficient posture and fluidity of movement, thus promoting health and well-being. Manual therapy has been practiced throughout history and no one profession owns manual therapy. The Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy is eclectic, inclusive, and dedicated to training all bodywork professionals in the art and science of manual therapy. Please check out our website, somtusa.com, for upcoming courses in manual therapy. In today's podcast, we'll explore movement malady. The movement system described by Shirley Sarman, PhD, PT, includes the musculoskeletal system, muscle, fascia, and bone that generates movement, the nervous system in charge of regulating movement, and the cardiovascular, pulmonary, and endocrine systems that provide support for the other systems. Any impairments in these areas may limit the movement system, and all need to be considered during the evaluation. Observing patients while they move gives the therapist more information regarding areas of dysfunction that can be correlated with postural findings. Determine what body region may be contributing to the altered movement pattern. The body follows the path of least resistance, and areas that are restricted and stiff, joint, muscle, or fascia, will dictate movement. The new movement pattern repeated over time will place excessive stress on certain tissues and potentially cause pathology. Restrictions in fascia may not always be a lengthening issue. Fascia also needs to be able to accommodate compression to allow for normal movement. Elevate your shoulder above your head as far as you can go. Do you feel tension anteriorly or posteriorly? If you feel tension on the posterior aspect of your shoulder, it may be an inability of tissues to fold or compress. Have you ever tried to stuff your clothes into your dresser and try and close the drawer? It's the same concept. Sometimes working on the compressive side versus the lengthening side will improve motion. Decompressive myofascial cupping works well in these situations. Pain can also influence movement. Greg Cook, PT, founder of the Functional Movement Screen, recommends asking the question, is the patient experiencing pain because they are moving poorly or are they moving poorly because they have pain? The nervous system can remain in a state of hyperexcitability even after an injury has healed influencing movement. Psychological processes such as stress, anxiety, and depression are also known to contribute to sensitizing the nervous system via central modulation. Therapists need to help patients think differently about their pain. Changing a patient's mindset and altering their narrative about why they hurt frees them from negative thoughts and will allow them to move better. Ask the patient what movements or activities they have difficulty performing. This can be used as a comparable sign, described by Jeffrey Maitland, Australian physiotherapist, to use as a benchmark for measuring the effectiveness of treatment. An example is experiencing shoulder or low back pain while reaching overhead. Attempt to modify the movement by providing tactile feedback with your hands to encourage normal scapulohumeral rhythm for shoulder pain or limiting lumbar extension with low back pain. Guide the patient and evaluate the effect on the comparable sign. As mentioned with posture, reducing patient's symptoms with a subtle correction will assist the therapist in developing the treatment plan and create buy-in from the patient. The movement screen can be divided into upper quarter and lower quarter. I recommend performing the entire screen on every patient. However, it's reasonable to do one or the other depending on the chief complaint, especially when there's a time constraint. 
Have the patient move through all the cardinal planes of movement for the spine, neck, and trunk, including forward and backward bending, side bending, and rotation, and observe the quality and quantity of available movement. Ask the patient if the movements are pain-free, however, do not focus on the pain. Consider using words other than pain, such as discomfort, to reduce catastrophizing. Utilize functional movements such as shoulder elevation and scratch test for upper extremity mobility and squatting and single leg stands to assess hip, knee, and ankle function, stability, and balance. Have the patient take a few deep breaths and note the expansion of the rib cage and finish with observing the patient's gait by having them walk. If a comparable sign has been identified during the movement screen, then spend some time observing the movement and provide tactile feedback to make subtle corrections and see if it reduces pain and or improves mobility. Let's look at the movement screen in a little more detail, starting with the upper quarter. First, observe the patient from the front and side as they flex and extend their neck. Do they demonstrate full range of motion, chin to chest and eyes to ceiling, deviate to one side or the other, and is the motion smooth and coordinated? Second, ask the patient to side bend their head left and right, moving their ear toward their shoulder. Are they able to side bend 45 degrees in both directions? Is the motion smooth and coordinated? Do the eyes remain facing forward or does the head rotate as they side bend? Rotating the head while side bending may indicate a restriction in the upper cervical spine. Third, ask the patient to turn their head left and right. As the patient turns their head, note the available range of motion and tone in the strap muscles. Can they rotate between 80 and 90 degrees? And does the motion appear smooth and coordinated? To differentiate between joint and muscle, have the patient sit with their arms folded across their chest, stand behind them, and support their arms as they repeat all the cervical motions. If the patient demonstrates greater cervical range of motion and or experiences less pain, this may indicate muscle and connective tissue tightness. If the motion is still limited, consider joint dysfunction. Fourth, in standing, have the patient elevate their arms in front of their body and then to the side. Are they able to raise their arms all the way above their head? Is the motion smooth and coordinated? Does the thoracic spine extend or do they compensate with increased lumbar extension? If they hyperextend, provide tactile feedback and see if the motion improves and or they have fewer symptoms. Observe for early movement of the scapula versus humerus and does the scapula upwardly rotate and hug the thoracic cage without juddering or winging? At the end of the available range of motion, the neck shoulder crease should be symmetrical. Stand behind the patient, support the scapula, repeat the movements, and see if the patient has greater range of motion and or fewer symptoms when tension is taken off the upper trapezius and levator scapula muscles. Next, perform the shoulder scratch test. The patient raises one arm overhead, bending the elbow and rotating the arm outward while reaching as far down the back as possible with the palm facing inward. With the opposite arm, the patient reaches behind the back, bending the elbow and rotating the arm inward while reaching as far up the back as possible with the palm facing outward. Observe the available shoulder elevation and external rotation in one shoulder and extension and internal rotation in the other. Note any fascial tension. Repeat for both arms. Now let's move on to the lower quarter. Have the patient bend forward. There should be early initiation of hip movement followed by smooth and coordinated lumbar spine flexion. 
Observe for any juddering, shaking, or cogwheel motion, indicating a lack of stability when moving outside the base of support. When they return to the upright position, the movement should be initiated by the hips and there should be a reversal of the lumbar curve. Thigh climbing, using the hands to push up on the thigh, is another sign of weakness. The hips should remain just posterior to the lateral malleoli if they drop further back. That may indicate tightness of the posterior structures, hamstrings, gastrocnemius, or lack of ankle dorsiflexion. If the patient experiences pain while forward bending, provide support with your hand on their trunk and see if the symptoms are reduced. Second, have the patient place their hands on their hips and slowly bend backward. There should be a smooth curve with no hinge points. Hinge points may correlate to skin creases noted during the postural exam and accentuated when applying pressure down through the shoulders. If the patient experiences pain, have them use the hands to block the lumbar hinge point and extend again to see if the symptoms are reduced. Third, have the patient side bend to the right and left by reaching with one hand down the thigh. Look for smoothness of the curve. An area of straightening may indicate a loss of segmental mobility. Are they able to reach the side of their knee with the tips of their fingers? or is the motion limited? Fourth, observe total body rotation by having the patient turn to the right and then to the left. At the end of the range of motion, the patient's head and shoulders should be perpendicular to the feet. Observe the smoothness of the curves throughout the spine. When the patient rotates to the right, the right foot should supinate and left foot pronate and vice versa. Next, fix the pelvis from moving with both hands and have the patient repeat the motions. Feel for resistance when they turn right and left. Note the smoothness of of the curves and reproduction of symptoms. Have the patient stand with their feet slightly greater than shoulder width and slowly squat with arms extended in front of their body. The heels should remain in contact with the ground. Feet should pronate slightly. The thighs should not adduct. Knees remain straight. Hinge at the hips while maintaining a lumbar lordosis. Any alteration in mechanics may be related to fascial tightness. Next assess single leg stance. Start with the patient standing with feet shoulder width apart. Ask the patient to slowly raise one leg while bending their knee. Observe the weight bearing hip for any lateral pelvic shift or any side bending of the trunk. Stability during a single leg stance is extremely important for normal gait. Check proprioception on one leg by having the patient close their eyes and see how long they can maintain balance. The test ends when they open their eyes, touch their other foot or step down. Finally, evaluate breathing. Have the patient take a few deep breaths and observe the expansion of the ribcage. Does the motion come from the chest, belly, or both? Is it full and symmetrical? Are the accessory muscles of respiration, the sternocleidomastoid or the scalenes, overactive? Movement is coordinated by the central nervous system and produced by the muscles acting on and through the fascia and skeletal system. The concept of individual muscle actions and levers represents a linear system. However, the body is nonlinear. The traditional view of force generated within a muscle and transmitted in series through a tendon onto a bone to produce movement is antiquated. Muscles are linked with each other through the fascial system and cannot be considered independent drivers. The fascial matrix is a hydraulic system, liquid moving in a confined space under pressure capable of generating large forces to move the body. Vladimir Yanda was the first person to recognize the sensory motor system 
and dynamic neurologic control as opposed to muscle strength and weakness as the cause of movement dysfunction. Yonda recommended first restoring proper length to the tonic muscles with soft tissue techniques and stretching, and then prescribing corrective exercise to reactivate and strengthen the phasic muscles. Strengthening muscles on a faulty foundation, one that is out of alignment due to tightness, may lead to muscle imbalances. Movement is the result of coordinated agonist and antagonist muscle contractions. Stability is critical for efficient movement, and the CNS regulates the stability-mobility continuum. Training the brain through repeated practice with appropriate alignment and muscle activation is equally as important as stretching soft tissues and strengthening muscles. Yonda proposed that pain arises when the body is no longer able to compensate for the dysfunctional movement that results from malalignment, muscle imbalances, and poor motor control. In conclusion, identifying postural deviations and movement impairments allows the therapist to then look closer at joint and soft tissue mobility to locate the source of the dysfunction. Manual therapy can be used to manipulate joints that are stiff and soft tissues that are restricted. Once joint and soft tissue mobility is restored, corrective exercises can be prescribed to reactivate and strengthen muscles to improve stability and motor control. The combination of manual therapy and exercise will improve posture, restore movement, alleviate pain, and promote health and well-being. That's it for today's podcast. Until next time, this is Dr. John Winslow with the Society of Orthopedic Manual Therapy in Ithaca, New York. Remember to develop an eclectic treatment approach. Stay informed of new evidence. Embrace the healing power of touch. And always follow manual therapy with movement and exercise. Check out our website, somtusa.com, for upcoming courses in manual therapy. And join us for our next podcast on intuitive palpation.